Hello, friends, and welcome to this edition of the Thirsty Dogs Drink Faster podcast on the SB Nation Podcast Network. I am Paul Hudrick, and I am joined, as always, by Seamus Clancy. And there's some doom and gloom in Philadelphia over the Philadelphia Eagles, who've lost two straight now. Only three losses on the entire season. I think some people maybe have lost sight of that fact, but we'll get into all that recap. Um, Eagles Saints from over the weekend. We'll also touch on Joel Embiid and the Sixers. Joel Embiid just named, as we're just entering this podcast here on Tuesday, just named the Eastern Conference Player of the Month, but he might not be an all-star starter because that makes a lot of sense. Um, Then we're also going to touch on Phillies and Flyers as well. But, of course, we want to start with Eagles and, sure, disappointing, right? I mean, they they lose. It's going to be disappointing. It it is what it is. Gardner Minshew was not very good. I think we can all agree on that. Very disappointing performance by him. I don't think the coaching staff – set him up to succeed either. And I don't, I think the defense got it together, but early on their game plan clearly wasn't very good because Andy Dalton was slicing and dicing him in the first half. Clearly the adjustments were made and they, they played much better in the second half, but just an overall, I, I didn't feel, it, it didn't feel like a great coaching job. It didn't feel like a great job by the backup quarterback. And, um, you know, you're missing Ling Johnson, who is the most criminally underrated player maybe in NFL history, you're missing Jalen Hurts, who might be the MVP of this league. Um, I think, if anything, these two games show that maybe he should be the MVP of this league, but that's not the way people think, obviously. Uh, but just as you're sitting here today, we've had a couple of days to kind of stew over and think about it. Where are you with the Eagles with, with the loss? And then where are you with them as we sit here entering the last week of the season? I had a couple of friends after the game were completely, completely despondent. One saying, and I, and I love the guy, and we talked, one of those Eagles group tries to talk about all day, every day. This was one of the worst losses in years. And I'm like, this isn't even one of the 10 worst losses of like the last three or four years. <laughs> so they went from a guy at quarterback who this year at worst has been a top four quarterback. I would say if you're a herd skeptic, it would be, you would go maybe Mahomes, Allen, Burrow ahead of him. And you went from him to a guy who normally is probably one of the 25 to 30 best quarterbacks in the league in Gardner Minshew. Reality on Sunday he played like one of the 40 to 50 best quarterbacks in the NFL. Stat line, not horrific. A lot of that is aided by a not fantastic throw to A.J. Brown, and A.J. Brown made an A.J. Brown-type play for, I believe, a 78-yard touchdown on that one. Longest play of the year. Longest play of the year. And then you're also missing your – he's not going to make the Hall of Fame, but he's been the best one of the best offensive linemen I've ever seen in watching the game. I'm thinking as a kid seeing you know, Walter Jones – Jonathan Ogden and Jason Peters, Lane Johnson might be one of the five best defensive tackles I've ever watched playing the game. So two most important positions in the sport, offensive tackle and quarterback. And at the same time, those two guys are not only just the best people on the, in their position in the entire league, they are literally the two best players on this team. And Lane's probably one really over Jalen as much as Jalen deserves one MVP. We've made that case a million times in, Watching the team crumble yesterday, or recording Tuesday, on Sunday, offensively without him, only speaks and builds his concrete MVP case. So my thought, would I tell Eagles fans to be on the edge, worrying and all that? No, because, again, you have to win Sunday. And I think as much as I'm saying it's okay, they'll be okay, stuff like that. And I'm, I'm doing that on the assumption that Jalen is playing Sunday. I think he's going to play. I think we all think that. If they don't win the division and get this spot, maybe not the buy. If they don't win the division, they, they can't win the Super Bowl, right? They can't win three games in a row with the five. So maybe they can. But, man, that's disheartening after the 13-1 start. 
And if you're down him on the team the last two weeks, I get that. That's valid. If you're watching a team that was 8-0 and 13-1, seeing back-to-back losses, one, to a better rival, could have, should have, would have win game, and then a putrid slot fest against the team that you have some draft pick implications with, though that didn't change anything. The Saints pick going into week 16, or week 17, I should say, was the 10th pick. They won a game and stayed the 10th pick, and if they had lost, it would have stayed the 10th pick. Didn't really do anything for people freaking out in that regard, too. Mm-hmm. So Jalen plays Sunday, I'm expecting a win. And I don't know if that means Brian Dabble, Giants head coach, is playing his starters. If he's not playing the starters, if he's playing them a quarter, he's playing them a half, he's not playing them at all. I don't think that really matters. I think this team is good enough that the the writing is on the wall. It's a reality check. And if they can't win this game, maybe they don't deserve to win the Super Bowl and and go in that run, right? And again, that might be disheartening to hear after the 8-0 start, the 13-1 start. But it is what it is. That's what happens when you miss the league MVP. And then this week you're missing a guy who it's so weird with offensive linemen, right? Where, where the casuals, not that I'm an X's and O's machine or anything like that, but people who just consume the game more casually in a fantasy football gambling perspective don't understand the impact offensive linemen can have. And I think that's such an underrated element of why the Eagles, though they only have one championship have been one of the most successful franchises in the NFL in the 21st century. So they've always prioritized the offensive line. And Lane Johnson and defensive line, absolutely. Both of the trenches, and that's why they're always hanging tough. They have a one-year blip here and there, 2005, 2020. But mostly, they're pretty good because they invest all their resources and draft picks and and cap space into the offensive and defensive line. Other than Jason Peters, who I expect to be a first-out Hall of Famer, Lane Johnson is the best Eagles offensive lineman ever. And that's not a slight to Jason Kelsey, who's – Probably one of the best centers ever, but inherently an offensive tackle is being more valuable than, than a center. And the same thing for a guard. We've seen some great guards in this town too. So you missed your two best players, played the two most important positions in the entire sport. What did you really think was going to happen? And yeah, the urgency is through the roof right now. If you don't win the division, I don't, I don't like the Super Bowl hopes anymore. Even if you get the, if even if you don't, maybe you don't get the clinch and get the first round by, but you win the division and you're the two seed. I think you just got to take that. It sucks. It sucks falling ass backwards in the playoffs right after that start. If things went flipped a little bit and they had a, they started two and three and finished 14 and four or whatever it was, uh, 13 and four, people would be a lot more excited, right? But that's just, just the way things play out. And it's, but uh, I'm not, no. I'm not doom and gloom for the team. And you shouldn't be. And I, I'm not either. The, the point about Hurts, I think, yeah, it's spot on. Of course, like you're missing a guy who might be the MVP. You could argue is the MVP of the league. And when you're missing that, it's going to hurt. And I would say, too, not only is he an MVP player because of the way he's played and, and the way, you know, the, the way he's played the quarterback position as a passer and a runner. But he's he's like the heart and soul of this team, like this team. Loves this guy. I mean, it speaks volumes when you have guys like Lane Johnson, like Jason Kelsey, like Jordan. Like, they all, like, they put themselves on the line for Jalen Hurts. Like, they love this guy. And, and that's not a small thing. Like, and no disrespect to Gardner Minshew. I'm sure, you know, he's he's a very interesting fella. And I'm sure he's got a lot of fans in that locker room, too. And I'm sure the guys were playing very hard for him, as hard as they could. But it is different. Like, it's going to be, if, and I, I'm with you, too, I think he does play. If Jalen Hurts is there and he's playing and he's playing against the Giants, 
the emotional boost that's going to give the team that alone, I think is going to help. And then just the fact that he is, has been that good this year um, puts it on another thing. I thought, you know, um, Emmanuel Acho's breakdown of that play with AJ Brown. I mean, that, that spoke yeah. to exactly what the issue is sometimes when you have a backup quarterback in there and I, and I don't want to kill Minshew on this podcast because I just don't want to do it. He's a backup quarterback, and I, you know he was. I, thought I he would was... say people should expect a little bit more than him. Yes. Than say you know Tim friggin' Tebow gets thrown out of there in 2015 or whatever. Or like, yeah, like, like some guy. Like, like he's David they Blau they go out of they right? go out of their way <laughs> to acquire fringe starters as the backup quarterback, which is exactly what they should have done. And again, I thought he played valiantly against the Cowboys. Yeah, did did enough for them that when it was a defensive issue there, where it was flip flop this game, I thought the defense. Though Gowden gets a lot of crap, and rightfully so at times, it's, the scheme is infuriating, right? But they gave up 13 points. No, got to yeah, be able to score. Got to be able to score two touchdowns offensively. You can't do that. You don't deserve to win. I'm with you. But no, Minshew's got to be a guy. He probably cost himself 10 million dollars this offseason. No, that's the big. It's, yep. it's, it's a shame for him. Like if he if he hey he played okay on Dallas national televised game, had some stones, had some nice throws. That was fine. But man, he cost himself the uh, you know the you know Jonathan Gannon's the new Houston Texans head coach, mm-hmm. and they're Gardner Minshew starting the first two games before Bryce Young. That seemed like a blueprint. Or Shane Steichen goes to Carolina and that happens. That was I thought was going to happen, but uh, man, he it's a shame for him financially and for his professional future because that was the uh, the game to reignite himself as you know maybe a top twenty five ish guy. So no, he's he's a back of quarterback. I think that's yeah. where we're at. I mean, he's yeah. he he's a back of quarterback and he played like a back of quarterback. But again, that that play I think with AJ Brown illustrates the connection that him and Jalen Hurts have and how important that is and how that's the kind of thing you can't manufacture and you can't, you can't like that's, that's over the course of, I mean, in their case, AJ Brown and Jalen Hurts being best friends for years, right? Like that's how you develop that kind of chemistry, let alone you just give you know, your boy, you're playing in the schoolyard and just give your friend right, a look and you know, right. Let, let alone, you know, you're playing with a guy for 17 weeks and, and practicing and training camp and all that, all the, all the rapport you build with him there. Um, so, and so I, I, I think that's so, some of those like little issues and like, that was an obvious one. Right. But how many little ones are there during the course of yes, a game that yes. we don't even notice, yep. um, that really, even the most skilled X's and O people can't notice because we're, you're not in the huddle. You don't know what the play is called. You don't know what it's supposed to be and all that. Um, so I think those are the kind of little things that, and, and that's, it's a cliche thing in football, but like that's the, that's the stuff that costs you. I mean, it's 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 a difference between one play. I mean, they they go three and out, you know, the first couple of possessions, and it, it's just so deflating. Um, and, and if you just get one first down, who knows what can happen? It could change the, the tide of the entire drive. You move the ball, and then it could change the the tide of the entire game. But I, I also didn't love the game plan. I I didn't love, yeah. and, and I don't know that. I wonder how healthy Miles Sanders is. The fact that he only got two carries in the first half, and I, I, and he looked good when he was getting the carries. I was going to say yeah. he was effective when he yeah. when he did he run the ball. Five so or six yards a pop, right? So I mean, he he was good, but I'm saying I don't know if maybe yeah. they were preserving him a little bit. Maybe they didn't want to overextend him um, uh, too much. But um, we can also talk about Landon Dickerson that ridiculous hold call, which I mean, even Daryl Johnson was just blowing that up on the on the on the broadcast about how bad of a call that was in that game. Well, touchdown that was called back. Um, but those I didn't things- see it initially from yeah. my vantage point at the link, but um, looking on Twitter afterwards, pretty horrendous, pretty yeah. horrendous. And I'm, I'm 
I lean into the shtick when it comes to referees. I guess that would be part you. of my brand. And, you know, oh, refs, they're all terrible. They all should be in jail. Craziness, stuff like that, having fun. But, man, it's – there are a lot of calls that go 50-50, and there's, you know, it's part of the game. But something like that, that is just a pure mauling offensive lineman destroying a defender, creating that hole for Kenny Gainwell to score that touchdown, and that gets taken off – that's pretty disheartening as a player, I would imagine, too. And oh, yeah, you have to be a pro living. and get back out there and yeah. try to do the same thing again and score again. But uh, you really hate that any game can get boiled down to a referee issue. And if anyone's saying, well, it shouldn't come down to that, yeah, I'm right there. The referees aren't the, yeah, the de facto no, reason they won, they lost the game. I put it squarely on Gardner Minshew, which it is what You it can't is leave it up him. to that. Yeah, you, you can't, can't leave, leave it up, up to that to play. And you then, had to leave no doubt, which they uh, could have done against the Saints team. That just frankly is is bad. It is a bad. There's a reason why the Eagles are going to get a good first round pick, and it's because the Saints are frauds. They are not good. They are a bad football team, and the Eagles just did not take care of business. Um, that that's that's really it. And yeah, I mean, I, I think we're on the same page as far as you know. Minshew did himself no favors, un- unfortunately for himself. Whereas I think he is. He's he's going to be a backup quarterback again next year, and I think the the coaching staff. And, you know, Steichen's been so good this year. I think he's he's hit so many right buttons and, and had so many excellent game plans throughout the course of the year, um, including the Dallas game, quite frankly, because the points points being scored was not an issue against Dallas. But this was a really disappointing game plan. And and they just and and on top of that, the execution was really, really poor. But I'm taking Max Duggan on late day three in the draft next year. What's that? Taking Max Duggan from TCU. Okay. He was a, if you, if you watch the coffee play, he played okay, yes. but I think he's had a good season for TCU. He's a guy I would, I would very much take over in the Ian book developmental role and maybe come 2024. There he's are sure he's a lot of quarter. This is a very deep quarterback. Draft. I, I, I think, I think they'll still get a vet, but I think they should upgrade the developmental guy. Yeah. I wonder if Brissett might have, he's, he's played better than Deshaun, which I absolutely mm-hmm. friggin' love in Cleveland this year. So I actually think he'll not according to LeBron James, but. You hear that tweet? Uh, he's definitely someone who typically has his finger on the pulse. Uh, <laughs> so I think Brissett might uh, get a starter job. You know, maybe that that intermediate. Hey, we have a rookie that was. I was going to say he's pick. that guy that goes to the Texans and plays yeah. a couple games before. But uh, Sirianni obviously has the familiarity with him and has spoken highly of him. So uh, if his market dries up, he's the ideal. You know, and Jalen, we all love Jalen. Like- Jalen player in person, but you're going to if, if he's going to miss a game or two a year because of his style. You need you need to have the best possible backup quarterback on your team, and it would probably benefit them to have a quarterback who could play a similar style too, who could, yeah. who could incorporate some of that running aspect of it, and just so your offense better stays on, similar, better just, on the Minshew too. Yeah, so. um, I'm trying. To, wasn't there a, a developmental guy that they had their eye on, and then someone else swiped them, and then they so they like landed on book, or am I am I misremembering that? I, I feel like know. there was another could, guy they could liked. be right, but I could just be missing it. Yeah, I feel I feel like there might have been another guy who they they thought, but then someone else scooped him up and put him on their forty on their uh, fifty three man. My brain that, was frazzled in August <laughs> doing the camp and everything for the first yeah. time, so I might have missed that. Yeah, I, I don't like I. This is it's like blurry to me, but I but <laughs> I just I feel like I remember that, and it was like a guy who like made sense um, because he was like a, mo- a more mobile guy. But anyway. Um, I'm with you that they probably do something like that. And clearly, as we've discussed many times, running back's probably going to be certainly not a first-round priority, but a priority probably kind of high in this draft because they're unlikely to re-sign Miles Sanders after the year he's had. With all this said, 
I, I do. I feel really good about them beating the Giants. I'm, I, man, if I'm Dable, I would not, I would not play my. They have a legitimate. He's such a shot. hardo, though. He's such a I hardo. I know, but they have a legitimate shot to beat the Vikings. I, I know. Like, I, and like Saquon, yes, Saquon's been banged up all year long. Like, get rest them up. And I'm not even saying this is like an Eagles fan. I'm just saying in general. Like, if I was a Giants fan, and I've seen some like really dumb Giants fans takes being like, "Oh, we need to stick it to the Eagles because they just beat us." It's like, bro. You say that, but then God forbid one of your players breaks their leg, and then you're not going to be you're going to be all over table calling him an idiot for playing, guys. So like to me, it just maybe you play it like a preseason game. You give like Joe, you give like Daniel Jones the first drive or something like that, and you get him the hell out of there. Like I, I don't know. To me, you the the Vikings are vulnerable. You could beat the Minnesota Vikings in Minnesota. That's not an unbeatable team. Like I, I would. I can't Rest wait for the first round, no matter who they play. I, I, I really can't wait to friggin' watch that. It's very possible that happens. So, like, I, I'm just like, if I'm the Giants, I, if I'm Dable, I, I'm, I, I, I'm focusing totally on Minnesota, and I, and I'm not playing my starters. And, and, and listen, if they play their starters, so be it. I, I agree with the point you made earlier that even if they do, this Eagles team at full, mostly full strength with Jalen Hurts a quarterback, not Lane Johnson, obviously playing at right tackle, not Avante Maddox or probably not CJ Gardner Johnson, I would imagine um, without those guys, but at a, a mostly healthy Eagles team should still absolutely be able to beat this giants team at home with the division, with the first, the number one seed on the line. I think absolutely um, that should still be a win, no matter what the giants decide to do. And I, I'll say this, I give Nick Sirianni a lot of credit throughout the year. And, and I think this is also speaking to hurts leadership that this team so I remember at one point you thought they were going to go undefeated or maybe go like 16 and one because, you know, maybe they just. Yeah, I thought it, I thought it might have been a 15 and 0 situation. They finished yeah. 15 and two. And-, but, and, and, and I don't think and I but I think the point you made for why you felt that way was on point. And it's that with a guy like Sirianni, with a quarterback like Hertz, you just don't have letdowns with those type of guys. Like you, they just don't they don't allow for that kind of thing. And like the, that's why the Redskins game or Redskins. Oh, that's awful that I said that the commanders game was such a awful loss to me because it was it was stunning because they don't do that like that's not something they normally they do. lost they the turnover margin on some create like the quest play that's right like, oh my god one of those weird type stuff of things right. it was a very very weird game and prime time divisional games are always going to have a funky aspect no matter what team you are no matter what division you're in yeah uh so to me like that i, I think this is like they will be ready uh, I think Sirianna will have him will have them ready. I think Hurts will be back, and I think he will emotionally and on the field give them such a big boost. Um, and I think the game plan will be better. I I, I think in every aspect they will be a much they will look they will resemble much more the football team um, that was you know that played before they lost these last two games. I think that's that's the team they will look more like, and I, I think they win and they get the job done, and they will they will be the number one seed um, going into the playoffs and have home field. Which I'm with you. I. I they need that if they're going to win the Super Bowl. Um, yeah. I, I think they need they the need with the, they, they need the health. They need the buy. Yes, I think I need, I need, the, the, I need the buy work wise. I think we all do in the media scene in Philadelphia, sure. and even more so. Obviously, not joking. The team itself, given Lane, Avant, I think Avante might be done for the year. We haven't gotten any clarity from that, but yeah. this isn't a insider thing. You know, I've seen around the team a little bit. My um, just gut feeling is that just seems bad. I, I don't know. It's there. I would expect. I expect you know CJ plays. January 21st, January 22nd, whatever it is. I expect Lane plays then, Jalen plays then. That's the ideal scenario. And, hey, Josiah Scott, he got picked apart against Dallas. 
came back and had a nice interception on Sunday. So maybe he's improving too. Yeah, I'm a little worried. I, I that's that is definitely a position that scares me. Depending on the matchup, just, depending on why don't, it's like why doesn't the opposing? It's like make the whole plane out of the black box material. Just put your best receiver on the slot, and they're not necessarily adjusting, right? Right, and that that's what like you know if they play Dallas, do they make if the, if it winds up being Dallas, they play like do they make that adjustment or what happens with Debo and against San Francisco or uh, yeah or yeah. they wind up playing Tom Brady and Tom Brady's you know the, the smartest quarterback maybe ever to play football he's gonna see that and they're gonna exploit it all day um and i do have concern like i i see both sides of the coin on the jonathan gannett thing where it's like some people the 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 outputs against really good quarterbacks is alarming but at the same time they're really good quarterbacks so like most defensive coordinators don't have great numbers against really good quarterbacks the league is inherently structured for a defensive coordinator to do poorly yes well put. Um, but I, I, with that said, I mean they're eighth in points, second in yards, and they might break the NFL record for sacks in a year. Yes. With that said, though, again, uh, quarterback. They're first in. They're first in passing yards. For, and I get it because watching like the Dak game is the microcosm of the issues that have played Gannon's defenses for two years. But I think it's been less in this year. Maybe they haven't played the best quarterbacks. They got Trevor Lawrence earlier in his developmental curve. They got Cooper Rush to the sloppy game earlier too. in the game, some sloppy games and stuff like that. But they've done admirably. And if you're going to want to win the playoffs, the Eagles had a very, very good defense in 2017. How did they win the Super Bowl? It was still a shootout because at the end of the day, sometimes right. it's just a game that's going to be all about offense. And maybe they, they, they do have some turnover luck. I think they could be turning luck into a skill, as irrational as that sounds, that I'm not really worried about him at this juncture. And that's one of the things we. I'm glad you brought the 2017 team because what they did and I think what this team can do is they can just win in multiple ways. And yeah. I think that's what, a great, that's what a team that wins a Super Bowl has to be able to do. They have to be able to... When the defense needs to step up, they they come up with a big play. And it, yeah, they Tom Brady carved them up. But guess what? When the game was on the line, Brandon Graham got through, punched the football out, and then won, won them the game. Like that's what you need. And it, it, the Falcons game, the offense was terrible. Nick Foles wasn't very good. They got a really lucky break with the ball bouncing up in the air and falling into Torrey Smith's gut. Um, so like you, you need you need all those things, right? You need the luck. You need and and you just need to be able to beat teams in a multitude of ways. Um, yeah. We're going to take a quick break here on the Thirsty Dogs Drink Faster podcast, but on the other side, we're going to talk some Sixers and a little bit of Phillies and Flyers as well. We're going to be right back right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Go to your happy price, price line. All right, we're back and we're talking Sixers. Joel Embiid, freshly named. Uh, as of Tuesday, we just started this podcast uh, Tuesday late afternoon. Joel Embiid named the Eastern Conference Player of the Month for the month of December. Uh, I'm going to bring up his number, Seamus, because they are um, pretty obnoxiously good. I'm working on an article right now, and I think everyone's going to be pleased with it. Um, but let's see. So for the month of December, 35.4 points per game, 9.9 rebounds, 4.2 assists, 1.8 blocks, 1.3 steals, shooting splits, 54.5, 41 65.8, 64.3% true shooting. The Sixers were 9-4 and four in the games he played, which was all of them in December. He is currently anchoring. Uh, I want to check the defensive. Going into last night, they were number two. Uh, I think they might be three. They are three. It's okay. They're point one behind Memphis okay. for number three in the entire NBA in defensive rating. So, uh, and he's second in the Luca overtook him for the scoring champ lead, but still. Um, second in the league in scoring, anchoring the third best defense in the NBA. Might not be an all star starter. Sixth in the NBA's ladder, MVP ladder. I saw that. Um, the narrative is done for him to ever win MVP. And that says, we yeah. kind of talked this before the show, that says less about Joe than it does the, the league itself. I think they're. You still have people complaining he only plays 80% of the games. And, like, we're really doing that. In 2023, we're still doing this thing. And they're not going to necessarily have the team success they did in 2021 where they were the, the first seed in the Eastern Conference. I don't know if they're going to be able to do that this year or, or again, maybe in, in Embiid's uh, true prime. But, man, I, what I like more than even the scoring is the defensive engagement because that's wound at times over the last couple of years. And, in a way, it's understandable – given the offensive load that he's bearing and how productive he is. And I was thinking this before the podcast, before we got on thinking, is he one of the five best scoring big men of all time? I'm not saying he's one of the five best big men ever, but he's really has a body of work. Now he's, he's getting up there in his age where you're thinking, thinking about that too. I mean, I, yeah, I was thinking cream, cream milk check, I think would be in a tier one sure. for themselves. I think Shaq but, was probably the last guy to do back-to-back scoring titles as a center. He's the last guy. He was the last guy to win a scoring title before Joe. Right. And then I thought, well, maybe David Robinson. I know he won a scoring title. He averaged 21 for his career and had only been above 25 or so one, yeah. one or two times. Whereas Joe, man. Moses uh, is up there. Moses is up there. Uh, he was definitely more of an offense first player than, than a well-rounded, you know, kind of Olajuwon-esque uh, or Embiid-esque player, I think. But yeah, he was a force. I'd say Moses over him. He has the couple MVP awards of his name and uh, – Sorry to Joe, but I think he'll only he'll be he'll by the time Joe Embiid's career is over, Moses Malone will still be the most recent center on the Sixers to win a championship. Unfortunately, uh, so yeah, Moses, top five. How about that? That's top five. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. I mean, there's probably other guys in there that I just can't think of. Yeah, like still. the guys that were very good, but not necessarily like to this. Like Bob McAdoo, yeah. great scorer. Bob Lanier, great scorer. A lot of a lot of those types of players. Akeem. Seem more of an all-around player than a, than an elite offensive scorer, That's though. Obviously, scorer. That's yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, he's a top fifteen player ever, very conservatively. I would say. But I Joe's, always say I think he might be like the most underrated player ever, Akeem. Like, he well, like I think him and him and uh, Admiral both are in that era, given that they were kind of sandwiched between this this other post era, and then Shaq came afterwards, and then Duncan kind of overshadowed Robinson, I think, and then Akeem wins in the two down years. Uh, where Jordan retired, and then he did his midseason comeback the second year and never faced Jordan in the finals. So 
definitely one of my favorite players ever. I would say one of my uh, non-modern lists, one of my 10 favorite players ever. So, you know, better than top 15 of all time. But stiff competition, but the fact that we're even discussing it says a lot about Joel. Sure does. Sure does. Now, he he's putting himself in the history books as one of the most prolific scoring centers in the NBA, one of the most prolific scorers in Sixers history, which is nothing to sneeze at because the Sixers have a pretty good history of... Third most wins in NBA history. Remember, that was a freaking commercial. What was it? When they the new ownership took over the team, they were doing that passionate, intense, proud campaign. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're yeah, like, yeah. we have the third most wins in NBA history. It was like, if you're bragging about that, there are other issues at hand. Yeah, true. Well, I'm more saying, you know. No, I know. Will Chamberlain. Line with Hall good. of Famers. Dr. J, pretty good. The 60s. Line with Hall of pretty good. Line but, um, but, yeah, I – it's so weird to me. Uh, yeah, because I'm I, 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 like the MVP thing is dead. He's never going to win it. It's just never going to happen for him. And it's sad because it's just sad that he's never going to win it. And like, and, and I'm not, I'm not a Jokic like hater at all. I just, I don't uh, like. He's great. Jokic is great. He's a great player. Is he the most dominant player in the NBA? Does he does like you know what I mean? Like, I, like when I think of guys who've like won like two time MVPs, like I don't they like. Cannot, Jokic, they cannot give it to him three times in a row. They cannot do that. And it's just we almost like jumped the shark with the with the advanced stat stuff. I I feel like like oh we did a long time ago yeah and I was I was total stat boy nerd for a while and we have lost the plot for a long (laughs) long time that goes across both Major League Baseball and the NBA. And I also think of it too when we're talking about like you know ranking and beat and like where he is in certain things. Thinking about two-way players in the NBA, guys who just uh, impact on offense and defense, it's like him and Giannis. Yes. Who who makes a bigger impact on both ends? Who is a better two-way player than him or Giannis? You know, I think Jokic has improved as a defender oh, from his early career yeah. woes, but to, to say he it's it's not close. It's just not it's just not close it's defensively. Not. Like and I get, Kawhi, I, Kawhi's, I get right. Kawhi's probably the best yeah. two-way player in the NBA, but he's not. But he hasn't been right in a, in a pretty long time. He hasn't been right since Jimmy Butler was a Sixer. I mean, seriously. Um, so I, that to me, it's just it, it's like the MVP is an offensive award now. Like, is that just it? Like, it's yeah, just, it is. It's we, it's, we give it to it an is, offensive yes. player now. There's no. I mean, I guess in the NFL, it's done that, right? I mean, well, there's a defensive player of the year. That's a whole other thing. But um, I, I if we're looking at MVP, like. Basketball of all sports, there are two ends to to the court, and like, and that's you're right. Like Jokic, from when he first got in the league till now, he has improved tremendously, sure. and he's not a bad defender at no, all. No, but Joel Embiid, he is everything for the Sixers defense, just like Giannis is everything for the Bucks defense. Yeah, of course, Lopez has been sensational this year, and he's had like this weird late career defensive his renaissance arc, his arc there is unbelievable yes. look at to what he was in with the nets and i'm not even talking about the brooklyn nets when he was with new jersey even yes uh he was this guy that was maligned as kind of empty scoring numbers you know talked about as one of the worst rebounding big men in the league uh frequent joke on inside the nba goes and is for that fraudulent you know, Celtics revamp Nets team with aging KG and Paul Pierce. That's nothing. 
and then ends up bounces around, ends up in Milwaukee, and turns into this ideal made in a lab three and D center put on this earth to play alongside Giannis. It's remarkable, really. I, I think that's one of the most underrated improvement things I've ever seen from an NBA player at that stage of his career and at that level of his reputation. Whereas if he was this player his whole career, he would really be looked at as one of the say best, but one of the better defenders of his generation and one of the best centers. One he would be a one B tier one. Hall of Famer. That's I mean, not even exaggerating. Is, is, it, is it weird to say he would be like not stylistically, but what he brings kind of a center version of Draymond, even though we know Draymond plays center sometimes like that kind of vibe. Like the ultimate ultimate that. glue guy defender on a team with a transcendent super duper duper star Hall of Famer and they won a title. Yeah, I I think the, it's the guys. That, but, I, but I think he the guys really good, man. The guys really yeah, good. Yeah, no. At one point, Lopez, to what you were talking about earlier, like offensively, I like he was, and he still is really skilled. But he was even more skilled um, yeah. when he was younger, and just and the fact that he expanded his game out to three and um. The defense yeah, was never I mean, there. It doesn't make any no, sense. No, it was never. It was never, it was never it, there. It's 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 amazing how he's really transferred. Like I, I, I don't recall any player ever just doing this. Just like, deciding to they become, got they were at thirty and like okay, let's become an all pro, all NBA defender. Let's do it. I'll say this though. You know what I've noticed as someone who covers the Philadelphia 76ers and has to watch every game. A little bit under the radar thing. James Harden has actually been playing defense lately. He did it last year too. I thought. He's been playing – well, this start the year, not so much. Um, but lately – and listen, he's never going to be a, a good defender. That's just it. Like, he can't move laterally well enough to do that. But he has just – he's got really outstanding basketball instincts just because he's a really smart dude and just understands the game as well as anyone in the entire league. He's got unbelievable hands. Um, you saw, like, last night, I think he had – four steals or something like that last night where he's just he just gets he just gets in there so and there's that one famous gift where he's not even looking and swats the layup out i can't remember who that was against but like um but that's just like signifies how good this guy's hands are the fact that he's playing the i think yes like it it all runs through Embiid, and when Embiid is engaged and when he's uh given it when he he has his his total focus on the defensive end of the floor it, it trickles down and the whole team plays better but when you see a guy like Harden also putting it on the line and, and, and putting effort on that, and I'm sure that also really energizes the whole team. You made a good point, though, too, about Embiid because it's fair to point out that his defensive energy, it, it's, it's waned at times this year. It's kind of gone up and down. But, yeah, man, when, when you're leading the entire league in scoring for most of the season and what he's asked to do on both ends of the floor – that's a lot, man. And you're seven foot, two hundred and eighty something pounds. It's a lot to ask of a guy. So, yeah, I, I he's never going to win MVP. He should be an All Star starter, and I I get that it's going to be tight. I mean, it's it's Giannis, and it should be the top five best players. Right? Yes. it's not positional, um, and they well, try to rectify Donovan that Mitchell a little. Just uh, made a pretty big argument that he should probably start, but um, with seventy one friggin' points, but um. Yeah, I mean, but there there should be room for Embiid, Giannis, KD, and Tatum to all be in the starting five. There should be room for that, and then Mitchell's the the last spot. Like, I like I, it. I, I think that would be the Sixers should trade for all of those guys and make that. Yeah, their oh yeah, that would, that would they would be a pretty good team. Um, it's just silly. The whole thing's dumb. 
it's just dumb. And the fact, like I saw, like, and I, I really like Stan Van Gundy. I, I think he's a good analyst, and obviously, um, I agree with a lot of his views on the world. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for him to just like arbitrarily say Joel Embiid shouldn't be an All Star because he hasn't played in eighty percent of the games, which is a made up number by Stan Van Gundy, respectfully, like the league doesn't even say that to qualify for stats, you need to play in seventy percent of your team's games. Stan decided on his own to raise that to eighty for his All Star qualification. So it's like. What are we doing that we that we like and, and, and I don't want to and I'm not this guy like, oh, Joel and B, like they hate the process, yada, 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 which I mean, maybe there is some of that. But I think he's still a little he's pariah. Yeah. Hurt like about that situation because he was so yeah. annoying at the time with that. And then the Sixers kind of beat him a couple of times when they were supposed to be terrible. Yes. Like it was actually fast. Yeah. I'm, but, and I think Embiid has done. Like to, it, it's funny because I was I was talking to a report an out of town reporter last night and we were just kind of talking about Embiid and he said like he's like yeah it seems like you know Embiid like him and like such a like but you know he named a few players like seemed like like he seemed like he like really got along with respect and I'm like yeah I was like you know earlier in his career like Embiid just talked a lot of trash it's what he did and like he just was young and having fun and being dumb and I think he would even tell you that but like the last couple of years like I feel like he has so much more respect for his opponents. For the guys he's going up against, um, you see, like you know him and like he had, you know, obviously was really respectful and um, complimentary of Zion last night. He's like that when he goes up against Giannis. He's like that when he, whenever he plays a great player, he is incredibly complimentary. Even like you know Siakam, a guy who elbowed him in the face um, last year and broke his face. Even after they played Toronto, he, he like you know he said like oh you know Siakam Sok- couldn't miss he was great and like I just think he has matured in that regard and it's just really going on notice and people like can't let go of that first perception of him as he tweets more than games played which that's such an old narrative now he doesn't even tweet anymore um, and just people have a hard time letting go of that stuff and I you know I hate to say it it's a lot of old white guys who just can't let go of that shit and they need to yeah. because he's agree. not the same guy. He's a great player. Give the guys due. put him in the friggin' all-star game, make him a starter, give him some MVP votes. Like, what are we like? The guy's been one of the most dominant players in the NBA just took on the most, you know, the, the player of the month for the month of December. I, I, what do you want from the guy? Do you want him to walk on water? Do you want him to get blood from a stone? Like, I, I, I don't know what you want from him. And last week his assist numbers were very good. Uh, going, uh, Last three games last week, his assist numbers were, I think, were 5.4 a game. And I always love seeing his assist numbers pop up like that because I think it's something he's really tried to pride himself on after some early career troubles doing that. I always think back to you know, the 2018 playoff series against Boston. It's kind of a low mark for him with stuff like that. And to be doing that while I almost feel like he loves having the 16 point triple double in a win, I feel like he values that just as much yeah. as him going for a 50 burger or whatever it is. And he gets uh, like the turnover thing too. He gets genuinely mad when he turns the ball. I mean, it maybe it doesn't seem like that to people because he does it so much. He does it a lot. But he gets pissed. Like, that's the, the most pissed off he gets at himself is for turnovers, like by far in his post game pressers. Like, whenever he looks at his stat line, um, he's happy about points or whatever and like assists and rebounds and all that. But the mo- the number he looks at the most and gets pissed off the most about is his turnover numbers when they're high. And that's like the first thing he highlights. If he goes, oh, yeah, I didn't turn a ball over in the second half. Or like that's the, like the thing he notices most, which I-, I think says a lot, too, about his growth yeah. and where he is as a player. And I-, I 
he is more about winning now than, than he's been in some time. I don't think he really, I genuinely don't think he does care about the MVP, especially after the last two years. I think he said, screw it. I don't, I don't care anymore. Um, would he be pissed if he's not an all-star starter? Yeah, I think he would be pissed, but I also think he'd have a right to be pissed off. And maybe in a weird way, that might be the best thing that happens to the Sixers if he gets sure. a little angry at the rest of the NBA and does some things. And I think, too, that's and what's crazy, too, is Harden might not make the all-star team either, and he's actually played pretty damn good basketball. If you look at since since that Houston game, which was terrible, he's been really good. And he's whenever he plays 70% of their games, whenever he has qualified for that, he's going to lead the league in assists. And he's probably not going to be an all-star. So the Sixers might have the leading scorer in the NBA who's not going to start in the all-star game. And they might have the assist leader in the NBA who's not going to make the all-star game. Which is just, to me, that's almost like hilarious. <laughs> but they hate the process, Seamus. They hate Philadelphia. I think they, and I wrote this at the time when they first traded for Harden. Embrace the villainy. Sure. Embrace it. I'm about that. I'm about that a lot. They hate us because they ain't us. Like, embrace it. Um, but yeah, I, I don't want to... Uh, sign off yet before until we talk a little bit of Phillies, a little bit of Flyers. So the only Phillies news, and we didn't really get to it because uh, you were off last week, was and I only mentioned it in passing because I'm a terrible podcast host and I almost forgot about it, is they did sign Craig Kimbrell. Uh, one year, I think it was $10 million. He's a guy who's had some ridiculously dominant seasons over the course of his career, not as many as he's gotten a little older. He's been a little bit more up and down. Was like decent for the Dodgers last year, pitched a ton for them. Um, just your initial thoughts on the on the Craig Kimball shining. Where do you think he fits in? I think the the funny thing I initially thought of was if the Phillies just signed a guy for this era of Phillies baseball who was unbelievable during the last good era of Phillies baseball, that might raise some eyebrows as this guy's really old and might not be as good. And he probably was the best reliever of that decade of the 2010s. And he's not that player anymore, but when you're looking at who he might be replacing in that bullpen, uh, I think it's certainly a step up. I don't know if they will be using him in a specific closer role. I hope Rob Thompson doesn't do that. Uh, I have my doubts that he will, uh, but we do have, or they do have, uh, I think Sir Anthony Dominguez is, deserves that role for him. And it's less so the traditional closer role. We know that now is more of the high leverage guy. Is he coming in to get two outs in the eighth inning at the, the heart of the lineup? Stuff like that rather than, hey, we're up by three. Let's try out this guy who gets paid $13 million a year in the ninth inning to face the seven, eight, and nine hitters. It doesn't really do stuff like that anymore. So I'm a fan. Yeah, as we discussed. It's one of those things, oh, he cost X amount of dollars. If you've exactly. already, and we talked about this before, if you already spent a bajillion dollars on your positional superstars, what's another $10 million on that? If you're going to win, make sure you win and yeah. round things out. It's just it's just money. didn't cost you any assets. So if you just got to cut bait with him at some point because he costs $10 million, you cut bait with him. It's, again, not my money, so I don't care. Uh, go win. Just win, baby. And also... To what you were pointing out earlier, yeah, like they don't, they don't need him. Like he's not a need. Like it's not like, oh man, they they're signing he Craig need to be because Craig Trimble. right, like they're not signing him to to get forty saves this year. Like that's not what they're signing him for. They're signing him to be another another uh, another cog. Like they're signing him to be a piece of the bullpen, not the piece of the bullpen. And yeah, I, I actually could see him in a traditional closer's role with Sir Anthony Dominguez and Jose Alvarado getting those high leverage thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like the seventh and eighth, those guys get the high leverage, you know, the the heart of the order, the, you know, the, the uh, super righty lineup Dominguez gets a super lefty lineup Alvarado gets or whatever. Uh, I could see that being the case. And then Kimball just gets the ninth inning no matter what. And I, I think that would work out very, very well. Um, So yeah, I, I I like the signing. Um, It's solid. It's a good signing. 
Uh, and lastly, you got to talk to Flyers because they're actually winning hockey games. If you didn't know that, James, they've won games. Uh, they swept their, their recent California trip while Disney on ice is uh, going to invade soon, right? Or did invade? Or It, it did invade, yes. It did invade. It's, 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 it's supposed to invade, right, because the Sixers played last night. Duh, Paul. Um, so, yeah, so they won three in a row. You know what's weird to me, Seamus, is it seems like when John Tortorella plays the team's um, better players, they win. It's an interesting concept. Uh, that, guy Kevin Hayes, that guy's something. Kevin Hayes plays hockey games and they win. Uh, Travis Konechny has kind of been empowered a little bit more, and he's playing maybe the best hockey of his career. I was I've been pretty down on Connect as as a guy who was very high on Konechny when he first came up. I've been pretty down on him the last couple of seasons, but he has been outstanding. Uh, Morgan Frost actually kind of looks like an NHL player. He had one goal last night, which was an absolute beauty. Uh, pretty much went the entire length of the ice and then put it over the goalie show. Now, listen, they're playing the Anaheim Ducks, who are actually worse than the Flyers. They are horrendous. They're, they might get the number one overall pick. They are a terrible, terrible, terrible hockey team. But they crushed them, and that's what they should do against the bad hockey team on the road. They, they beat them up. Um, and uh, they have apparently they have a, a, a goalie situation is pretty good. Carter Hart has been out, but... Um, this this young fellow Samuel Erson's been very good for them. Played well. Almost got a shutout last night. They blew it with under a minute left, which sucks for him. But but it's the it, what bothers me about Tortorella is so it, like at the beginning of the year he sent Cam York down and said okay yeah he needs seasoning in the minors. I I admittedly you and I both don't like really don't know compared to some people who might listen to this podcast don't know shit about hockey. Sure. I watched Cam York play maybe a handful of games this year. I can definitively tell you he is easily one of their top six defensemen and like easily, easily, maybe even one of their top three easily. Why was this dude in the minors? Because he was young. Torch is a hardo. Because you, because you had to play Nick Sealer and Justin Braun. Like, dude, like this season should be about, and if you don't want to call it a full-on rebuild tank, whatever. I don't care. Don't call it whatever the hell you want. Your messaging, it's the Flyers messaging sucks, frankly. It just does. Nothing new there. But don't hire John Tortorella and run it like this. Like, and if you're trying to build a new culture, like hire a young coach, right? Like hire a guy, like if you're trying to build a new culture, build a new culture and give the young guys a runway. Let them make mistakes. Let them play hockey. Like don't pull in and like play play them with guys like Kevin Hayes who are gonna help them make them better, and it's just it, it's maddening. It's maddening to me. Like and now like they might now you love, like, I can tell how much you love the Flyers in your voice right now and how much it pains you. It does because I, and the thing is I haven't loved the Flyers in years now. I just haven't and I did at one point. I absolutely like uh, you and I have talked about our fandom and and the rankings and all that. There was a point in my life where all four teams. We're on the. We're, I'm not even kidding. On the same damn level, I loved yeah. all four teams equally. Would sit down and watch any like uh, every game for every team. Like if, if I I would go out of my way to watch all four sports. I the only reason I watched the Flyers game last night is because I was home late from the Sixers game and there was nothing else on TV, and I just put it on in the background while I was writing and doing other things. Like that's it. Yeah. So I watched it and it was hey it was entertaining. They won. Um, and their young players look good. So maybe play the young players, Sean Tortorella. I don't know. Who the hell am I? Guy with some heart. 
What else can you ask for out of yeah. a person? Well, then I guess John Tortorella would like me then, right? I, I would be first line center. Uh, I certainly have the hair for it. You, you, um, you'd, be, you'd be playing over Kevin Hayes with your energy. It's true. Uh, on that note, we are going to wrap it up. But actually, first things, uh, I want to get your prediction. What do you got for Eagles-Giants? Oh, man, it's hard. I didn't do my written one yet for phillyvoice.com because, like, are they starting the starters? And it's, is it still, like, mm-hmm. a 13-point line? All right, let's say 24-13. Eagles okay. take the foot off the pedal in the fourth quarter, and they actually, like, get hurts out of the game early in some of their games. No, I, I – that's the reason I like it is I, I like the idea of them getting, I'm going to say 27, 10. Yeah. They go up like 24, three. Yeah. Like it's just a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And then they're just in the second half. Minshew and maybe Minshew. Yeah, I think, I think we were seeing fourth quarter Minshew and not in the, we're seeing fourth quarter Minshew in the best case scenario. Yes. Not the worst case scenario. Not the worst case. Scenario. Yes. And then hopefully miles, miles Sanders, keep his workload low. Look, seal playing of Bosco in the second half. Let that ride. Um, yeah. Here's an idea. September call-ups in baseball. Week 17 and week hmm. 18, your roster should be bigger in the in the NFL. Ah, I just thought of that now. I love that Because, idea. like, why shouldn't Trey Sermon be getting these carries last week and this week, right? Because I if Miles I love is- that idea. And if you're all about player safety, which we know they aren't. If, you, um, if, you've, if you've checked Twitter or the, the television in the last yeah. 24 hours, it might not be the case. Clearly or not. Um I, I didn't even want us to talk about that because it's just I you, like this is we're trying to have fun on this podcast and it's just yeah. so heartbreaking and, and sad and I, uh, I, but um, yeah, I, I actually think that's a brilliant. Yeah, idea. why can't you just stress your entire practice squad? Yeah, January call ups or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. December call ups. Yeah, I love that idea. I think it's a brilliant. Get it done on the phone. They might they might need a new commissioner. Yeah. <laughs> James Clancy for NFL commissioner. All the rules will be slated towards Eagles. It's going to be great. Um, oh, there are no more referees. <laughs> just pure chaos. All right, all right. For the, that'll do it for this edition of the Thirsty Dogs Drink Faster podcast. I am Paul Hudrick, and I am joined as always by Seamus Clancy. We will talk to you guys next week. Hopefully, recapping an Eagles win. See you next time. <laughs>